Praise the Lord. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Good to see everyone. A lot of memories, a lot of thoughts go through my head when I get in this place. They're all good. They're all good. Man, I was thinking, man, that song, you guys do an amazing job of singing the goodness of the Lord. I started thinking of some of you. I can say this because I'm a homegrown. Some of you old timers. Amen. Some of you old timers can sing of the goodness of God. Amen. We can do that today. Praise the Lord. So we're excited. Carmen, if you want to come up here. Um, is this microphone on, Robert? She's going to kill me, but I love starting it out, getting in trouble. Huh? She's going to get that one. Carmen, come up and greet the people today. She doesn't even do this at our church, so I'm in big trouble when I get home. Yes, you could be in big trouble right now. I'm sure they wouldn't mind. <laughs> well, hi, everybody. Praise God. It's a beautiful day. That I want you to know that is my very favorite song, and I was so glad you ended it with that because I can truly say my entire life God has been so good to me. He is faithful. He is good. No matter how hard life is, no matter the struggles that you go through, no matter what it throws at you, God is always good. And he always brings us through, doesn't he? And always when we get on the other side, we can look back at whatever it was and we can say God was there. Yes. He was in control and he is good. So God is good. It's so good to be here. We're, we're thankful that you thank you for inviting us and we're expecting amazing things. Amen. Praise the Lord. A lot of people I know are chasing hard after God these days. I think at times they're demanding it. You know, the draining nature of this, even this past year alone, combined with the stress of the uncertainty of life, not even to mention the spiritual battle. How many have noticed an increase in spiritual battle in your life? Just hitting you from all the directions. You know, all this is more. It's creating a deep down need and hunger for more of God. Anybody out there sensing that? A deep down hunger I got to have more of God. I was talking to a friend the other day and he told me that he said, Pastor Brian, I'm telling you, I'm at a place that I need more of God. And I looked at him and said, me too, me too. And these end times, this is the time that we need it more than we than ever. Well, how do we find more of God? Where do we get that? How do we download that? Where do we look? You know, yesterday I was I was rereading in Ephesians chapter three and it climaxes with this promise. If you want to look at Ephesians three, I think it's about verse 14. Uh, you don't have this in your inserts because I added this yesterday. It says this. It says that you may be filled to the me- you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I want everybody to say all the fullness of God. The scripture promises that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And that's what this uh, conference is about the next three nights. Tonight, we're going to talk about something in Carthage. I hope you come out to that tonight in Carthage. And then also Monday night and Tuesday night. It's going to build each night to where we're going to leave out Tuesday. And you're going to feel and you're going to know that you're full of God. So that's it. That's it. And I'm like, how do we find that? And Paul went on to say this. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. That's us. And I pray that out of the glorious riches, he may strengthen you with his power through the Holy Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. 
And I pray that you, everybody say that's me, we being rooted and established in his love may have the power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. And to know this love, look at this, that surpasses understanding. We're going to know a love of God on um, tonight. You need to come to Carthage. You're going to re- you're going to hear about the love of God in a way that's going to surpass knowledge that you may have previously had. That you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. There it is. That we might be filled with that measure of God. Wouldn't it be incredible if in the next four days that we could all just be filled with that? So today, when I talk about what does it take. To walk in the fullness of God. The first thing we're going to talk about this morning is we need to understand grace. We need to understand grace. Grace is a big topic that I think is is most uh, commonly maybe not done justice and done in the right way in the preaching. But I'm completely, can I just say that I'm completely overwhelmed by the grace of God? And the goodness of God and the love of God. How can a God love me, know me and still love me like he does? It it overwhelms me. So I want to start out and I want to ask this question. Where does our righteousness come from? Let us use Abraham as an example. Reading out of Romans chapter 4. Let us use Abraham as an example. It's It's clear that humanly speaking, he was the founder of Judaism. In other words, God's people, the Jews. Well, what was his experience about being made right with God? And then it asks this, was it good works of keeping the law? There wasn't even a law then. No, for if it was by the things he did, he would have something to boast about. But no one boasts before God. Listen to what the scripture says. Because Abraham, I want you to see this. Because Abraham believed God's word, his faith transferred God's righteousness into his account. I want you to think about that. He transferred, because of his faith, God's righteousness was transferred into his, his account. No one can earn God's righteousness. It can only be transferred. When we no longer rely on our works, but believe in the one who powerfully declares the ungodly to be righteous. It is faith that transfers God's righteousness into your account. I think that's powerful when God declares the ungodly to be righteous. That's you and I. This is a great scripture if you've ever done anything wrong. But if any of you out there haven't ever done anything wrong, it won't mean much to you. But for us, somebody say, that's me. For us, who has done a lot wrong and, may I say, still doing some things wrong. Anybody out there say amen? Still doing some things wrong. He justifies and declares the ungodly righteous in Jesus' name. So that's a powerful scripture. It's it's extremely important that we understand grace versus legalism. We look at everything in life either by grace or by works. Either by it's a gift or it's something we earn. Let me give you another word for that. It's perfectionism. If you're looking for perfectionism, none of us are going to hit that mark. If we went out and asked a hundred people, we said, what, what do you need to do to get to heaven, to get to go to heaven? Well, what do you think the number one answer would be? Most people would say, be good. Be a good person. Do so, do more good than you do bad. The problem is, is God's standard isn't good. God's standard is perfect. And nobody is perfect in God's standard. Paul even went on to try to explain that in um, 
I think it was Romans 3. I didn't write down the exact scripture. But as he went on to explain that, he said this. Well, then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? Have you ever met anybody at church that kind of has that aroma? Have we ever, can we conclude that us Christians are better than everybody else? You, you know, there's a self-righteousness that can creep in. We're better than all others. And Paul said, no, you're not. No, not at all. We've already shown that Jews, Gentiles, everybody's under the power of sin. As the scripture says, no one's righteous, not even one. No one's wise. No one's really seeking God like they think. All have turned away and become useless. No one does does good except one. You know, everybody has their top five of if you do these things, you're pretty righteous. And everybody's answers are different. In fact, going from church to church. Some churches are, well, you don't drink, cuss, and smoke. Those are the ones we look at, and you're not doing them, then you're all right in our eyes. And some of them is if you do this, this, and this. It's kind of like COVID, where people are making up these rules, and you're like, where in the world they come up with that? Anybody out there say amen. So some of this stuff, you can do this, and you, you're like, you, you what? But to me, that's as confusing as people getting their top five. If you do this, then you're righteous. And if you don't do these, then you're unrighteous. And then we look down at our noses at people if they're not doing what we think is righteous. That's what Paul was dealing with here. That's what he was dealing with here. And to me, that's relevant in what we're dealing with in our world. You know, it creates a culture in church. It creates a better than culture in church. And it also creates a, a classes and degrees in our society to where it divides us as a society. How many are seeing that? Because everybody's got this. You know, Paul went on to say, he said, talk is foul. It's like a stench from an open grave. Same scripture right after that. It's like a stench from an open grave. He was like, hey, you Jews, you people that think you walk on a better plane than everybody else. He said this, you're foul. You're like a stench of an open grave. Your tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom dips from your lips. Mouth full of cursing and bitterness. You rush to commit murder. And you're like, murder? Paul says when you talk about people, you're murdering them with your words. Destruction and misery follow them. They don't have fear and they don't have a fear of God. See, this is something we need to be on guard about. Everybody has what is righteous. What is right? You know, even, uh, how many remember, uh, Johnny Carson? How many remember Johnny Carson? One time he brought Billy Graham. He brought Billy Graham on the Johnny Carson. Was it called the Tonight Show? I remember mom and dad, you'd hear the TV on and they'd always say, you need to be in bed. But, um, but Johnny Carson, here's everybody, here's Johnny. Here's Johnny. Well, one night he had Billy Graham on there. He had Billy Graham on there and he said, hey, Billy, I want to ask you something. Have you ever broken one of the Ten Commandments? And Billy Graham sat there a minute and he leaned back and he says, Well, Johnny, to be honest with you, I've broken all of them. Johnny leaned in. Ooh, hey, make sure the cameras are on. Make sure this is on tape. Uh, you, you said you've broken all of them? He said, Well, yeah, Johnny, I've broken all of them. This is the attitude that the church should have so we don't get condescending. James 2.10 says this. This is what Billy Graham quoted. He said, the person who keeps every law of God but makes one little slip is guilty 
as the person who has broken every law there is. So let's don't get too caught up in what this is. And when you think about that, you think, wow, man, how am I ever going to get to heaven? If it's perfect, it seems impossible. But it, could it be that someone else has already been perfect for us? And as Joel said, there can be a transfer of this righteousness when we believe in him. So that's the first thing. The first question is we need to understand what is righteousness. What is it? What is righteous? What's a righteous person? What can you do where you say, now that's a righteous person? Well, that's a righteous man if he treats his spouse right. If he's a good husband, a good father, a good grandfather. Man, if he's just, if he's moral, upright in behavior and character, he doesn't lie, cheat, or steal. He lives righteously. He's doing right. Now, that's a righteous person. Well, I want to ask this. Is he righteous? Listen carefully. Is he righteous because he lives righteously? Or does he live righteously because he's been made righteous? Big difference. See, that changes everything. That's the difference between grace versus law. Grace versus works. The truth is he's not righteous because he lives righteous, but rather he lives righteously because he's been made righteous. It's from the inside out. How many know when you get Jesus in your heart, the things that you couldn't do before, you now can do because you're living from the inside out. Jesus transfers that righteousness in your life. And then you're able to do some of the things. That's why you can't say, well, I'm going to wait till I get things right before I come to God. Don't do that. You, you can't ever get it right. That's why you haven't came to God yet. Come to God like you are. And then he'll give you his righteousness and you'll be able to live in a different way. Here's what we need to understand. I'm not in right standing with God because I do the right things. I can't do enough right things. I'm not in right standing with God. I am in right standing with God because Jesus did some right things. And I, everybody say believe. I believe in Jesus. And because I'm in right standing with God through Jesus, I now have a desire to do the right things. But... I don't always do the right things. Anybody out there? I don't always do the right things. But I want to do the right things. But it's not the right things that put me in good standing or out of good standing with God. Are you all with me? It's not what you do. You know, something that we all, everybody's okay with this scripture. It says, for as by one man's sin, sin entered into the world and death passed upon all men. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're, we're cool with that scripture. In fact, some of us are like, not only cool, it's not fair in a way. Man, I'm, ha- I'm reaping what Adam did. As by one man's sin, I'm reaping death. And I'm reaping all of sin. And I'm reaping that because of what he did. I wasn't even around at the time. Anybody ever thought that? I wasn't even around at the time. That, that, how could that be? Here's what I like. Let's flip it. You're like, well, I didn't do anything and death and sin came upon me. Flip it like this and say, when you get the righteousness of God, it's still not what you do. I didn't do anything then. You don't do something to become righteous. You don't do something. It's because of one man's righteousness. It's because of one man's righteousness. You can never do enough. You can never be enough. You can never feel good enough. Never. I've tried. You can't. The only time you get peace with God 
and you get a stability with God is when you know that your righteousness comes from him and him alone. Anybody out there say amen. You know, can an unrighteous man, I want to ask a question, can an unrighteous man do righteous things? You know, there's a guy, not a believer. He went to another city for business. He had a great day, land accounts, one huge account, made a lot of money, had some accounts receivable come in, super day, got a lot more business, great day. Decides to go on a walk. He's out of town, decides to go on a walk. He goes and some kids are playing in a park. He's had a great day. He's had a great day. Kids are playing in the park. The ball comes over the fence. He says, hey, kids, let me get that ball for you and kicks it back to him. He walks down the street and says, a, sees, sees a, a, a poor beggar begging on the street. And he said, man, I've had a good day. Hey, slips a $20 bill in. He's excited. He's had a good day. Then he, then he sees a little old widow lady. Trying to get across the street and having trouble. So he says, hey, let me help you get across the streets. My question is, do those righteous, do those righteous things that they did, good things, do those good things make that unrighteous man righteous? Yes or no? Okay. Well, let me ask you this. Another guy, a believer. Another guy, a believer. He goes in another town. He has a horrible day. He lost accounts. Everything went wrong. Some of the meetings he had didn't go the way he wanted them. He's had a horrible day. Same guy goes out on the street. He's a believer. He's a believer. He goes out on the street. Same kids kick the ball over the fence. He's like, oh, you blasted kids. Kicks that ball away from him. Beggar comes up and says, alms for the poor, alms for the poor to the believer. And he says, Man, you're, you look strong enough. Why don't you go out and get a job and quit begging? Get out of my way. Little old widow walking down the street, elbows her, knocks her down where she falls in a puddle, gets back to the room, watches stuff on the internet that he shouldn't, gets into some stuff that he shouldn't on watching TV and, and things like that. Listen, do those unrighteous deeds make that man, listen, who is a believer, does it make him unrighteous and not in right standing with God anymore? See, some of you are a little bit afraid to answer that one. Can an unrighteous man do righteous deeds? Yes or no? Yes. Does the righteous deed the unrighteous man did make him righteous? No. Listen carefully. Can a righteous man do unrighteous things? I say yes. We have done many. Does the unrighteous deed that the righteous man did make him unrighteous? No. Then I want to ask this. Then why do we live that way? I grew up so doggone performance oriented that I never felt good enough. I've walked in shame. I walk in guilt. I walk in fear. That's why I can't wait. You have to hear this sermon tonight. When you get a hold of the love of God, you will never walk in shame, guilt, fear, insecurity, awkwardness with God ever again. And it's taken me years. It's taken me years to believe that God can love me and then have a wife that you believe can love you so that you don't walk in fear in, in all this stuff. We live day to day. Did I read my Bible today? Did I pray? Did I do this? Did I do that? 
Oop, I slipped up here. Oops, I did that wrong. I lost my temper here. I did this. And then we live life like a yo-yo. And we're never consistent with God because we've got some wrong teaching in our head. We've got some wrong teaching. I'm not saying it's a ticket of sin. In fact, when you get a hold of the grace of God, Titus 2 says that when you get a hold of the grace of God, when you understand truly what grace is, some people are like, boy, you start preaching on grace, you're just going to give people a sin and they're just going to go crazy. It's the opposite. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're talking about. When you get a picture of the grace of God, it does something on the inside of you where you don't want to do it anymore. You get such a love of God that you want to keep his commandments. You're not doing it as a list of to-dos and on your own willpower. It's something that comes from the inside out. I hate it when I see people living this other way to where there's such an awkwardness in it. Well, did I do this or that? This. Well, then I'm good with God. Then I'm Right with God. Grace teaches us, Titus 2.12, to deny worldly lust and ungodliness. And you guys can read it in, in in your thing. It teaches us. It doesn't enable you to do wrong. It teaches you not to. Anybody out there say amen. I'm telling you, uh, I, I really want that our righteousness or right standing does not depend upon our performance it depends upon our position with the Lord. Do you know you're positioned in the right spot when you have the Lord Jesus Christ? So what is righteousness? Is right standing? It's right standing with God through Jesus Christ. Second question. Second question. What was Abraham's experience of being made right with God? Or what it looked like? What was Abraham's experience of being made right with God? Was it by his good works? Of keeping the law? No. For if it was the things he did, he would have something to boast about. But no one boasts before God. Let me country boy that for you. When I try this in Illinois, they look at me like I'm from Mars. Growing up a country boy. Let me country boy this for you. I I, I say things like, uh, oh, oh, I say things like hogwash. Up north and they're like, Hogwash. What's hogwash? <laughs> or anyway, you all get that. Hey, a while ago, I should have said, that's hogwash. <laughs> you guys would have got that. Let me country boy this. There ain't no bragging in heaven. There ain't no bragging in heaven. No one's going to walk up to heaven and say, hey, you know what? I'm here because of me, man. I lived a good life. I did the right things. I'm a good person. I did it. I did it. I kept the faith. It's because of me. It's because of what I did. It's because of all I did for God. Why I'm here. No, we are here because of the goodness and the mercy and the long suffering of of the Lord. Thank God that it's his grace and it's his gift of righteousness that he's given us. You can't earn it. The Bible says in Romans, those who want to reign in life, who wants to reign in life, who wants to do good in life. Those who reign in life have received abundance of grace, abundance of grace, more than you Do you know that your sins that you're going to do are already taken care of? The sins that you did, the sins that you might be doing, and the ones you're going to do are already under the abundance grace of the Lord. And you get the gift of righteousness. You can't earn it. When people work, they earn wages. They earn wages. It can't be considered a free gift because it's earned. If you look up that earned in the Greek, it means this. 
It's not a gift. Listen, when you try to earn your salvation, your salvation, it's no longer a gift. Now you're in an obligation. It's the condition to be morally and legally bound that now you have to do something. This, the Lord woke me up about four o'clock this morning and put this, insert this in my spirit. People seem to be one of two extremes. I've noticed in 33 years of full-time ministry, you're either in one of two camps, it seems like. There's one of two extremes that you can put most most Christians in, most church people. You go in one of these two, and I want to say this again, extremes. Are you all with me? One of two extremes. One is a self-righteous person. A self-righteous person is this person, and when you're self-righteous, listen what it does. It breeds competition. When your church, when a church is full of self-righteous people, it breeds competition. It sets a, it sets a culture of competition. Well, I'm going to do better than Larry. I pray a little more than Larry. I do a little, I, 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 I give a little more than Jojo. I, I do this, I do that. It creates, it creates a, it creates a, a competition. I hate competition in church. I see it all the time. It makes different degrees. It, it, it forms a, a judging. And the other thing is we start comparing. We're not supposed to compare ourselves with each other, are we? Are we supposed to compare ourselves with each other? Or are we supposed to compare ourselves with God, with Jesus? Amen. And then what it does, ultimately, ultimately, it makes a spiritual pride. Makes a spiritual pride. Self-righteousness breeds competition. Makes you look down at your nose at the other. Sets different levels. Well, I'm better than. I'm a little more than. Somebody asked me the other day. They said, can you explain that scripture in Luke that says, whoever's forgiven much is able to love much? How many has ever come across that one? Whoever's forgiven much. That, don't, that doesn't mean you have to be the worst sinner that ever walked the earth to be able to love God a whole bunch. You don't have to go do drugs and get drunk every night and have about four or five wives and spend some time in jail to be able to love God so much greater than the rest of us because we were forgiven of so much. My, my wife hadn't hardly done anything wrong in life, in my judgment, which we're not supposed to do that. But she loves God just as much as I am. You know what it is? It's the person's perspective. She sees herself the same that she would see a drug addict or a person on alcohol or a person on their fourth or fifth marriage or a person that's gay or a person that's this, that, or the other. Name it. When you walk not in a self-righteousness, but when you walk in humility, you will see people on the same plane as you are. And you will know, you will know, just as Billy Graham said, I've broken all of them. You'll know you're able to love much because you know if you slip up on one, it's like you broke them all. It's like you broke them all. So you don't have this condescending spirit and this condescending attitude towards people because you see, hey, can I say this? We are all breaking hell wide open without 
the transfer of Jesus' righteousness into our account. I don't care how much you've given. I don't care how much you've done. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. We're all breaking hell wide open. Except for the grace of God. There's two extremes. There's two extremes. You're either extremely self-righteous. Or you think you're all that. Or... You're a do-gooder. A do-gooder is this. They base, I have to, I have to admit, I fall into the do-gooder. I've never had a problem with self-righteousness because I'm like, I know what I am. I know what I am. I've never, even sexual sins, sexual sins, people are like, well, I'm okay if they're, if I can forgive fornication, I can forgive adultery, but man, that bestiality or being gay, I just can't forgive that when I can't. Come on. Really? What John Stoss would say, give me a break. Where do we start putting degrees and levels and judging people and putting them in certain classes by what they do? Humility. You see yourself. Remember the Pharisee? Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this publican. I thank you that I'm at church every week. I thank you that cigarette has never touched my lips. I thank you that this. I thank you that this. I've got my... Guys, I even got my... Mom and Dad, thank you for getting me to Sunday school. I got my kindergarten through senior and high school badges that I went to Sunday school every week. Thank you. For doing that for me. Thank you for doing that for me. But I'm not that Pharisee. Oh, I thank you I got my badge that I was in Sunday school all those years. Praise God. I thank you I'm not like that person. But the publican says, oh God, forgive me a sinner. Oh God, forgive me. I don't even, shouldn't even be able to be in your presence. My wife, who hadn't done hardly anything wrong. She beats her chest. Like the guy that's done everything wrong. She walks in humility. But what? here's what happens. A do-gooder, a do-gooder tries to make up for what he doesn't have. Have you ever heard that scripture that says this? How much more will the blood of Christ... You don't have this. Um, I added this. Hebrews 9.14. Hebrews 9.14. Powerful scripture. I challenge you to look up the, the word dead works. And you're going to see it in Hebrews like crazy. A person that God says, no, those are dead works. Those are works, but they're dead works. They're dead works. It says, how much more will the blood of Christ, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself up without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve a living God? I don't think that can be on the screen and don't even try to because you guys can do it. I want you, everybody look at me and I want you to try to get this in your head. God, how God can purify our conscience from dead works. The blood of Jesus can purify your conscience from dead works. What does it mean? What do you mean purify my conscience? My conscience needed a lot of purifying. Because I walked in a lot of shame. 
guilt, regret, fear, rejection, insecurity. You do, Brian? You bet your bottom dollar I do. All the time. Well, not anymore. Not anymore. Used to, I used to. Because I couldn't get this thing called conscience purified. Conscience is something you can't get away from. It's with you when you get up. It's with you when you walk through the day. It's with you when you lay down at night. It's always with you. It's ever present. You can't get rid of it. You can't hide from it. You can't run from it. It's right there. In fact, I have a belief and don't, I maybe, well, I won't say it because I don't want you all to get hung up on that and you can't hear the rest of what I'm trying to try to say here. But I believe conviction, a lot of it comes through our conscience. Because the scripture even talks about how a conscience has been seared with a hot iron. A conscience that's been seared with a hot iron is kind of like those paths that you see in a pasture where the cows walk through. How many know what I'm talking about? A bunch of farm boys. Come on, you farm boys. I don't get to preach this illustration in Illinois. They don't know what the world we're talking about. But how many have seen the tall grass and you see the, the, you see it pounded down where the cows walk single file on that same path? Have you ever wondered how in the world they do that? How they know to walk on that same path? I have no idea. But I just said it. It's because they walk on that same path that it treads a path. Because they do the same thing over and over. That's what a seared conscience is. Is when you do it again and again and again and again. And you start losing that remorse. And you start losing that. You you start losing that. Oh man, that's sin. I need to turn from that. And you get to where the prophet said, my people have forgotten how to blush. I think as Jeremiah said, my people have forgotten how to blush. In other words, the things that used to embarrass you and that you knew were wrong to where you would blush and your face turned red. Me and, me and Carmen really monitor what we watch on TV, movies and stuff. Um, if it starts getting a little off color, I've been married to her 33 years. I start blushing. It's embarrassing to me. To see something on TV, it, it makes me awkward. Even around my wife, it makes me awkward. It makes me blush. I don't like it. But you know, if I keep putting that in front of me, and keep putting that in front of me, and keep doing it, and keep doing it, it could get where me and Carmen could just sit down and watch that junk, and we don't even blush anymore. That's what a seared conscience is. That's like the cow walking the same path. But even with that, because this is a message of grace and a message of hope, even with that, if you ever get to a place where you don't blush anymore, you don't got to give up on yourself even on that one. How do you know? Because I've been walking with the Lord 33 years, and I've got things in my life that are repeated behaviors that I do good for a while, and then I cycle right back into it because I haven't got it broke yet. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You're all making me feel lonely up here. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Is anybody bold enough to say, me too? Can I hear a me too out there? 
Me too. Because if it isn't a me too, you're deceiving yourself. Okay? But uh, there's times where maybe I don't blush like I used to. And I start overlooking some roadblocks or stepping past some boundaries. It's either Ecclesiastes 10.8 or Ecclesiastes 18. It says when you break the hedge, the serpent will bite you. God's got a hedge that he keeps us in for our own protection. You break that hedge, you get bit. How many's broke the hedge before? And you've been bit. You've had to reap some consequences for some decisions, some choices, some things that you've done. Okay, we well, ever got to a point where you keep doing it, where your conscience gets seared? Is there no hope for that person? I'm still on that. No, there is hope for that person too. Because I've been that person too. Guys, the Puritans, the Puritans were known. Dad's a good, uh, he loves history. Dad, the Puritans were known of walking and they'd say, Lord, give us tears. As they would travel, as they would pilgrim. They'd say, Lord, give us tears. Lord, give us tears. Lord, give us tears. Do you guys know repentance is a gift of God? Sometimes you can't work up repentance because the bottom line is we like it. You wouldn't keep sinning if you didn't. We like it. Admit it. We like it. The lust of our flesh, the lust of the world, the pride in this life. These aren't devils with horns and things that scare you and are, are, are real dark and evil where you're like, ooh, we need to stay away. These are Things that invite you in, that entice you. It's a worldwide web. They pull you in. This world does. When you get pulled in that thing, ask for the gift of repentance. I pray the Lord's Prayer every day. I teach on the Lord's Prayer. Pray it every day. But when I get a seared conscience... I put, well, I always start with praise. I praise him a bit. But then I just start walking and say, oh, God, give me tears. Give me tears. Give me brokenness. Let what hurts you hurt me. It doesn't anymore. Let what grieves you grieve me. It's not grieving me anymore. Lord, give me tears. Even when I get down to forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us in the Lord's prayer. Even that, I'll say, Lord, thank you for forgiving me of my past sins, my present sins, and my future sins. Thank you, I'm in right standing. Thank you for forgiving me. I do that. But I also say, Lord, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us. How many say he's faithful and just to forgive us? And to cleanse us. And to cleanse us. There's more than just forgiveness. There can be a cleansing. Oh, Tabashata. Oh, I feel this so strong. There are some of you that your consciences 
are not clean. You don't have a clear conscience. You can't live with yourself. You can't live with some of the things you've done. You can't live with some of the things that's been done to you. You dream about them. You have nightmares about them. Uh, if you if you get in a space to where, where where you're quiet, the thoughts came up. You go down a road that triggers it. A sight triggers it. A, a smell triggers it. A, a, a memory triggers it. A person you saw triggers it. And then boom, you're right back as if the day that it happened to you that's a person that's conscience isn't cleared see we talked about a seared conscience that's the guy that needs to say lord give me repentance make me soft again but what about the person that doesn't have a clear conscience what's that person like that person Again, is that one that's awkward towards God, walks in fear, walks in shame, walks in guilt, walks in regret. And here's what I like about this. And it says this. That God will purify our conscience from dead works. What's a dead work? We're talking about grace and works. What is a dead work? A dead work is when you try to do something righteous. You try to do something good. You, you, you overachieve with performance because you're eaten up inside with guilt. It's a dead work. It doesn't matter how much good you try to do. How much you try to make things right. You're never going to be right. You're, you're right with God like that. God, You can be right with God so so fast that's the amazing thing about him you can be right with him so fast and as far as the east is from the west he really does forget it he even gets to a point where i keep trying to bring it up to him and he says would you quit bringing that up to me i've already forgiven you of it and then he says remember what paul said this one thing i do i got to put away those things that are behind and press forward to what's in front of me Sometimes we can't do that. And we try to make up for it by works. 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 And that gets us back to the beginning of this thing. Works. It's dead works. Only the blood of Jesus can cleanse your conscience, your memories. How many of you guys got secret things? You haven't even told your spouse. Your best friend doesn't even know this about you. That's the amazing thing about God. Is he knows all. And he still loves you. Still loves you. Still loves you. I really sense, because we're clear off this message. Well, not off of it. But we're not going to do the chalk talk thing. We've. Because the Holy Spirit's wanting to set right in here. Do you think so, Carmen? The Holy Spirit's kind of hovering right in here. Why? Because he wants to help some people. He wants you to quit trying to perform to your husband. And for the husband to quit trying to perform. And he wants, he wants to, you quit trying to perform and try to do all this stuff with God. He wants to set you free from that and say, just let my blood take care of that. 
You know, even in Hebrews, all through Hebrews, it says, you know what's neat about the new covenant? It says the old goat, the the old covenant, the old covenant where they sacrificed goats and sheep and rams and all that stuff. It said the old covenant, all it could do would be cover it up until next year. And then it gets brought out again and again and again. The blood of bulls and goats and the sacrifices done by animals and by people can never cleanse. It can never cleanse. It can only cover. And then the priest has to do it the next year and the next year. In Hebrews, in Hebrews, the priest never got to sit down. He was always busy taking care of the candlestick, the showbread. He was always moving. He was always busy because the work was never completed. He had to keep doing sacrifice and keep doing things so people could be forgiven. And, and it would just cover things. But the Bible says that Jesus Christ offered his blood once and for all. And he went and sat down. Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. And his blood, not only it doesn't cover, it cleanses you from sins. It cleanses you from a evil conscience it cleanses you from a guilty conscience a fearful conscience the others can't do that i believe in counseling i do i i've been to counselors and i even think it's okay for me i go to a counselor for maintenance to to keep healthy I think it's healthy. I think it's as good as a doctor's checkup. But you got to keep things. And I know that don't go good sometimes with country people. But I do. Well, you should go to God. I do. I do go to God. There's some techniques that I've learned through counseling. They're very helpful. Very helpful. In fact, the ones that are very helpful, I know the word good enough. I can say, oh, that's that scripture anyway. And they tell me to do that technique. Well, that's this scripture. And I'm like, you're doing scripture and you don't even know it. Okay? A lot of them are. Okay? Um, But one thing counseling can't do, it can listen, it can pinpoint, it can do all that. But one thing it can't do is it can't take it away. You can't take it away. Only Jesus can. With head, with head bowed, eyes closed all over this place. Did I miss it this morning? Or are some of you riveted and beaten, beat up? How many of you get beat up on a daily basis for things that you just can't get free of? Can you put your hands up? Some of you start putting your hands up before I even ask you. Put your hands up all over. I get beat up every day. Beat up. I'm black and blue. Black and blue every day. As the praise team's coming, I'm black and blue every day. You know, one of my favorite scripture is he was wounded for my transgressions. Listen to this. Man, this is really coming live today. He, He, Jesus, was wounded for my transgressions. Some of you are wounded every day. He was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. 
Some of you get bruised black and blue every day. The chastisement for my peace was upon his back. And by his stripes, I am healed. The Lord wants to say to you today that raised your hand. He wants you to quit beating yourself up because he was beat up. The chastisement that he took was for your peace. Only one time in scripture did Jesus call God, God. Only one time in scripture. Every time Jesus addressed God, he said, Father, Father, Father. Every time Jesus talked to God, it was Father. But on the cross, it was my God. My God. Why? Have you forsaken me? He was forsaken so you could be accepted. He was bruised so you don't have to bruise yourself. He was beaten so you don't have to beat yourself up. And by his stripes, he can clear your conscience. He can set you free from an evil conscience. He can give you a good life. Every head bowed that eyes closed. Who says today, today, Brian, I'm not right with God. I'm not even a Christian or I was a Christian, but I quit walking with the Lord. But while you're talking, I want to start walking with the Lord. I want to start walking with the Lord for the first time. Or you're saying, I quit walking with the Lord and I want to start walking with him again. Can I see your hands all over this place? Can I see your hands all over this place? I see your hand. I want to start walking with the Lord. Or I want to start walking again with the Lord. Anybody want to raise their hand on that? 